Today I'm going to do something that I've never done before. And I may never do again. Not really. I want you to follow me as I take you on a journey through Back to Basics. This is the last sermon of this series. We started off the series with this, peace. John 14, 27, he said, peace I leave with you. This is Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Are you hearing that today? It's about peace. Back to basics. Peace. Jesus was the supreme peace offering. And with his blood sprinkled on the altar of God, he purchased our eternal peace. The first thing I would like to mention to you today is that we must find peace. But not just peace, real peace substantial peace. For without peace, you will never obtain what God has for you. This is something you cannot achieve. Hear this. This is something you cannot achieve on your own. Because when you get involved in trying to do certain things, it's like this. I said this. When your hand is placed in life circumstances and you try to work things out on your own, all you do is stir up the mess on the bottom, the silt on the bottom, the dirt on the bottom. And that becomes a great problem. But with the hand of Jesus and him working in your life, he will bring peace, but it will be real peace. And he'll not stir up anything that will cause you to stumble or to fall or to lose peace. Now hear this, I said, and you must contemplate this. Peace is not just an external experience. Well, if I could go here or go there, if I could just experience this, I'd have peace. Hear me. Peace is not an external experience, but peace is an inward journey into the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about knowing him more. Say that. Knowing him more. That brings to me peace, and it will bring you peace also. Then we move on into vision. Hold on. Hold on. In order to live an effective life, there are a few things you must never forget. You must hold on to God the Father. You must hold on to Jesus Christ. You must hold on to the Holy Spirit. With these, there's another that is very important. With all these that I just mentioned, there's another thing that's valuable. If you want to be happy and have a completed life, you'll find it in Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. Where there is no revelation, where there is no illumination of what God wants for you, you'll never find that vision. You'll never walk in that perfect peace. You need to walk in the vision. Having a vision for your life is a wonderful thing. Can you agree to that? Having a vision, knowing where you're headed, understanding that vision that is set before you is a wonderful thing. Having that vision, this destiny, or that destiny in your life is a wonderful thing. But more than wonderful, it is a necessary thing. Are you hearing me? It is a necessary thing. But do you know what's better than all that? Just having a vision to follow, it's completing the vision. It's completing the vision, walking in that vision. It's satisfying to have a vision for building a new house or having a new car. 
or having a new boat, but it's a lot better when you can get in the boat or get in the car or walk through the front door of your house. It's far better to walk into your vision than just thinking about it. So I say today, don't lose your vision of Jesus or his calling for your life. I want to take you to Habakkuk 2, verses 2 to 3. Now watch this. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. There's a reason for that. Write it. I found out in my own life, if I want to remember something, staff, pastors, if I write it down, even if I don't look at it again, I remember it. And the Lord knows better than me. He said, write the vision and then watch this. Make it plain. Make it plain upon the tables or upon your writing pad. That he that runs that readeth, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision, now watch this. I know what he's talking about here and I know the context he's talking at, but I want you to hear this today. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Oh, I love this. But at the end, in God's time, Pastor Kenny, in God's time at the end, it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, he said, wait for it. Now, that's something that's difficult for us to do. Wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Man, if God has given you a vision for your life, it, it may not come when you want it, but it'll come right on time because God knows what he's doing. It will not tarry. So don't lose sight of the vision. Now I move on to week three of Back to Basics. Don't lose something. What? Your hope. What is hope? Hope means by definition, to wish for a particular event that one considers possible. To have confidence, trust, that's important. To desire and consider possible. Also, a synonym of hope is expect. And that's where I want to sink the nail today. You must expect. What do you mean? Expectation will equal hope. Whatever you expect is what you believe is going to come to pass. You believe it. You trust that it will happen. Expectation brings hope. We deal in our lives with the past, with the present, and with the future. Your past, your present, and your future. Now listen to this. People have mastered thinking about living in their past. Hear me when I tell you. We've mastered it. We know how to go back and back and back and back and back. But very, there's very few forward-thinking people. And Jesus is a forward-thinking God. He wants you to be forward-thinking. So we've mastered thinking about living in the past. But hear this today. You can lose your past. And people get caught up in their present condition. And it drives their every decision. You can also somewhat lose your present. But you need to listen to me carefully today. You can never allow anything or anyone to take away your future. And when you take away hope, you lose that future. You say, well, I thought you were going to talk about hope. Listen, if you lose hope, if you lose your expectation, are you listening to me? You will automatically lose your future because you'll sit and do nothing. You must walk in expectation. You have to have hope or you'll never enjoy your future. Believe me when I tell you. 
Listen, if you lose hope, if you lose your expectation, you will automatically, hear that, automatically lose your, well, it'll, you'll lose your future. And what future are you talking about? The one the Lord wants you to have. The one the Lord wants you to walk in. Oh, I love what the psalmist says here in Psalms 119.81. My soul faints for thy salvation, but I hope in your word. Where is my hope? Pastor Kenny, it's in his word. When his word comes forth, my life changes. It doesn't matter if, if, if none of you like me and all of you are against me. If the word of God is with me, I have hope. It doesn't matter like the apostles, uh, they were thrown into the deep, dark dungeons. Yet Paul, out of a deep, dark dungeon, wrote most of the epistles. Why? Because he had hope in the word of God. And what the Lord was saying to him in Psalms 119.81, it says, My soul faints for thy salvation, but I hope for thy word. In the Message Bible, it says it this way, I'm homesick, longing for salvation. I'm waiting for your word of hope. Waiting for your word of hope. It's imperative. You must have it. Stay with me now. We're moving on. In week four, I started talking about giving. And the Bible says, and this is paramount, give and it shall be given unto you. Luke 6, 38. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation because it's so important for you to understand it. He says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, I don't know about you, but that's powerful. That means whatever I do for the Lord and for his house and for his people, it's coming back to me many times over. My daddy used to say, he said, cast your bread upon the water, and in many days it'll come back pound cake. That's what my daddy always said. And I believe that when I cast my work and I serve the house of the Lord, it's coming back to me many times over. I feel the presence of God in this house right now. And I'm going to tell you, if you want to walk in power, understand the principle of giving. Giving is a principle of the kingdom of God. It's just, it's at, at, the, at the foundation of the kingdom of God. Why? Because the creator of all things, the king of this unshakable kingdom, gave so we could have life. Not just life, Miss Kathy, not just life, but he gave us the expectation of eternal life. Eternal life. Hear this. All things were created by him and for him, yet Pastor Mike, Pastor Ariel, he gave. He didn't have to do that. Do you really think God had to do it? He did everything, everything that he's done. He's motivated by love and he gave. Now, what's the principle here? God wants us to be in his likeness. I said this a couple of weeks ago in service. Well, let me remind you. In the garden, when man, the first couple was thrown out of the garden, man did not Remember, God created man in his likeness and his image, in his image and his likeness. What man did not lose in the fall was the image, but he lost the likeness, the way God does things, the way his attributes. Now, I wonder why he left us in the image, but let the likeness go. It's because just the mere image 
makes Satan angry. He can't handle looking at God's representatives, the sons and daughters of God. I would say little gods. That's what the Bible says. But I won't say that. God wants us, Pastor Ariel, he wants us in his likeness. That means what I do, what I say, what I think. And that's difficult. Don't you, don't, I'm not saying it's easy. It is difficult to walk in the likeness of God. I'm trying desperately. I'm getting older now. And every day of my life, I'm trying to be more in his likeness. And sometimes I succeed and sometimes I fail. But my vision, my hope is that I hit that target. Amen? Giving. Yes, giving is one of God's many attributes. In John 3, 16, something you've known and read all your life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. My son ministering the other day said, God planted that seed. That seed and that seed brought me everlasting life. He said, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It was that seed, that gift that brought me everlasting life. Oh, my goodness. Now, let's move on in the message. I dealt with this subject, serve. Now, let me say this. There's no way I can preach. This is a synoptic overview. You need to just understand. This is just a piece of what we've gone through with Back to Basics. But what a powerful series it was. Serve. Serve. It's hard to say that, isn't it? I'll be a server. I'll serve or I'll be a servant. Everyone wants to sit in high places. Everyone wants to be great. But the standard of the world is not the standard of God. In Matthew 20, 20, which I'll not read right now, Salome brought her sons, James and John. And she asked Jesus, can one sit on your right and one on your left? And I'm paraphrasing now. Jesus said, wait a minute, you can't do that because it's not in my power to do that. It's in the hand of my Father, which is in heaven. But I'm going to tell you what I felt in my spirit early this morning. God's saying the, the way those things are achieved is through your servanthood. That's the way you achieve greatness in the kingdom of God is through your servanthood. But we live in a society where it's all about me, me, myself, and I. I call it the unholy trinity. The world system says whatever it takes, whatever it takes, and whoever you have to step on to get ahead, do it. If you need to get ahead, just step on somebody and get a little taller. The end justifies the means. But I'm going to tell you, that's not correct. With God, it's not who you step on. It's who you pick up along the way and help them on their way. That's being a servant. That's learning to serve. And I'm going to tell you, no greater work you can do than serve in the house of the Lord. Serve in the house of the Lord. Learn to serve. Sister Kathy, here she's a fine servant of the house of the Lord. Learn to serve, and you know what happens? You take on new life. You take on new life. You will be, when you serve, watch this, you will be resurrected. Let me go back to the point. When Jesus Christ died, Father gave, it was the seed, the eternal seed. Am I right? Goes to the cross, he's planted, buried, and comes forth, giving us new life. And I'm going to tell you, when we learn to serve, we die to self. 
But after we serve, son, this just hit me hard this morning. There's going to be a resurrection. Do you understand that? There's going to be a resurrection. You feel down and out. You don't feel like it. You feel low. Let me tell you, start serving in the house of the Lord. Start serving what God wants you to serve. And you'll come to life. He'll resurrect you. So what did I say? Learn to serve. Moving on. Leave the bones. Leave the bones. I see people, people that call themselves Christians that are living in despair. I mean, they're not even happy. But they call themselves Christians. They are a shell with nothing in it. It's like cracking open an egg and there's nothing in it. How can we move forward if our focus is in reverse? Because we're so unhappy. And let me tell you something. Unhappiness genders unhappiness. Am I right or wrong? And most unhappy people want you to be unhappy too. They'll talk you into unhappiness. They'll walk you into unhappiness. And even in the conversation, nothing's good and nobody's perfect in their sight. It's just an absolute collapse of what God wants you to be. It's just a collapse because we're always in reverse. I say look forward. Be happy about tomorrow. It's like having a vacation planned two months from now. You look forward to it. Start looking forward to every day with Jesus. I've heard people say it seems like I can never climb out of the hole I'm in. But remember this, it's a hole you dug. You dug that yourself. You can never see your future because your face is against the wall of that ditch that you dug. You did it. Randy Travis wrote, sang a song years ago. I'm digging up bones, digging up bones, exhuming things that are better left alone. I'm resurrecting memories of a love that's dead and gone. Yes, tonight I'm settling alone, digging up bones. We have become masters, masters at digging up our finds, digging up our past and others, people around us, their past. Why? So we can expose them to the world. We... Not us, probably not you, but there are people that love to get a tidbit on somebody so they can share it with somebody else. And they'll always say, don't say, tell anybody else this, what I'm about to tell you. Knowing full and good well, you're going to do it. We dig it up so that we can feel better about ourselves. Now hear this, don't dig up something that is past and buried and give it new life. That's something I added to the message. Don't dig up something that is past and buried and give it new life. You resuscitate it. You start resuscitating something in the past. You give it new life. And here we go again. What does that mean? Every time you get in an argument, you go back 10 years and remember something that happened 10 years ago. And I'm going to tell you that's not of God. Because God says when you sin, I forget it. Not only do I forgive it, I forget it. It's gone. It's buried. So don't dig up something that is past and buried and give it new life. Don't resuscitate something that God has said is dead. Amen. Then we went on into the net. If I had but one last sermon, I said this. If I had but one last sermon to preach, one last statement to make to the world, 
I would say we must reach our generation. We must reach our world with a message of Jesus Christ. I would make it very plain the fact that we are an eternal creation and we will have an eternity to face with the knowledge of Christ or without that blessed hope. We're going to face it. Make no mistake about it. Your friends, your family, your loved ones are going to face that. Jesus said to his followers, because him knowing this, I will make you fishers of men. Does that mean he's going to get a line and hook and start casting out and catching people? No. He understood that we could bring them in with the, with the gospel, the, the good news. That's why I'm so against preachers that preach about bad things all the time. It's the good news that brings people in. Jesus said, I'll make you, follow, I'll make you followers, but you'll be fishers of men. But here's my question that I posed. If we are fishers, then where are our fish? Some people have come to church for, th- uh, they've been attending church for 30 years. And notice I said attending, but they have no fish. But those people that are truly joined to the house and joined to the Spirit of God will have a basket full of fish. Where's your fish? Where's your catch? And I wondered why our church is dying. I've thought about that often. Why around the world that churches are closing their doors? Why? It's because we call ourselves fishers, but we refuse to cast the net. I say it's time for us to reevaluate and reassess our lives and our fellowship with Jesus Christ. It's time for the church to reposition itself for the harvest that is before us. What do we need to do? We need to cast the net. The reason we're not catching anything, we're not casting the net. What is that net? Our experience, our lifestyle, our message. We reach out to those. We don't try to damage people. We try to encourage people. Amen? Hey, I'm still moving. I've never preached this many sermons in one sermon. Oh, then I start talking about the Spirit. God can take a sinful life, wash it in the blood of Christ, Put his spirit in it and make that person a blessing to humanity, to everyone that's around that person. What is it called? Salvation. How? By the spirit. I want you to hear me today. And those that are watching, you need to hear this. We need the spirit. It is by the spirit that we're quickened, that we're brought to new life. So many people that have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, I think they've forgotten forgotten the spirit. Because they received it in some sort of movement. It was a movement. And when the movement was over, Pastor Kenny, guess what? So was their experience. So many of them have become monuments that you cannot move. They're a monument to the movement. And you can't move them. By God, this is where, well, you need to understand God is progressive. He's moving forward. He doesn't want you to stop. He he doesn't want you to anchor in. He wants you to know who he is and fall in love with him over and over. And be filled with his spirit as the Bible teaches to overflowing. Oh, Jesus. We need the spirit of Jesus Christ in our midst. We need the spirit to show up. We are crippled without the spirit of the one. we Watch this. We are crippled without the spirit of the one we say we are following. And it makes us look ridiculous to the world. I believe in Jesus. Then why are you acting that way? Why is it when you get mad you curse people out? You don't have that spirit. I'm not coming down on you. I love you. There's nobody that I hate. There's nobody that I'm offended with right now. There's some people I'm disappointed in. But that's, 
That's because of things they said and did not live up to it. But I still forgive them. So hear this. We are crippled without the spirit of the one we say that we are following. Without his spirit, we are a shell. We are a shell with no power. We are a shell with no mobility. We will reach no one with the shell. We must have that indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. He will live in you. He will abide with you. Now, I'm not going to tell you today, at this point right here, this is the last message of the series. The last point. And I want you to listen. I want you to figure out what I'm going to talk about. This is a message about statements. We hear them. All of us hear them. Like, I can't. I won't. I'm not going there. Have you heard people say that? I'm not going there. I can't. I won't. If you were in my shoes, you would see, really, the wound is too deep. Hell will freeze over before. You don't know what they did to me. It's easier said than done. I will never forget. Let me say this. Well, let me go on. You've I will never forget. You've got to be kidding me. Another statement. You've got to be kidding me. No way, Jose. All these statements can put you in a place of defeat and anguish. Everything that I just mentioned can put you in a place of defeat and anguish. A place where you stop. Hear what I said. Stop growing. Because you will stop growing. Why? Because it deals with that difficult word that's hard to even say it. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, back to basics. Because true forgiveness can and will set you free. It just will. I, don't, I, I can't sit here and give you all the ins and outs of it right now. But, and I can't preach a, a, an hour-long message on it right now. But hear me when I tell you, forgiveness will set you free. You're in control of your life, not someone else. That's good stuff there. It puts you back in control. Now watch this. It's something the Lord spoke to me weeks ago. When you judge someone, you become the prosecutor, you become the jury, you become the witness, and the executioner. And I'm going to tell you, do you all need to hear that again? You become the whole court. And this carries a heavy, heavy, heavy weight because now, you're not only the prosecutor, you're the executioner, and now you sit where the judge sits, and you dictate what will happen. That's a good statement right there. The Lord brought that to me. So I'll take you to Matthew 6, 14 in the New Living Translation. If you forgive, <clears throat> if you forgive those who sin against you, oh, that's great. Your heavenly Father will forgive you. What does that mean to you? That means if you don't forgive... Watch this. But if you refuse to forgive others, if you refuse to forgive others, God help me, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, they said the unforgivable sin is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to say something, Pastor Kenny. I believe it's also if you will not forgive somebody, it's just as damnable. I'm under a command. Whether I like it or not, I've got to be in the image and the likeness of him. And the image and the likeness says, Ariel, I forgive you. Kenny, I forgive you. 
Pastor Mike, I forgive you. Sister Kathy, I forgive you. Even though you're, you're still sitting there snarling at me, I'll say, I forgive you because that's my nature. But the problem is this, pastors and those that are listening. We just have, we just have, we just have to hang on to an offense until it adversely affects us. Is that right or wrong? We just have to do it. And the reason we hold on to these feelings is because we build a rationale against forgiveness in our own minds. We build it. Nobody knows what I'm thinking. Nobody understands what I, where I've been. <clears throat> Nobody understands the hurts I've endured. And we start to put them together logically, piece by piece, until the case seems airtight to us. And yet, we know instinctively that the actual arguments circulating in our brains, in our minds, would sound pretty unconvincing to others. Am I right or wrong? So rather than voicing them, we just simply say, or sum them all up in this conclusive statement or attitude, I can't forgive. That means you can't be forgiven. The real issue in many times is not that we can't forgive, it's that we think we shouldn't have to forgive. Now, that's the real issue. I shouldn't have to forgive. My God, don't you know what they did to me? God doesn't care about that. He said, forgive and it shall be forgiven. You don't forgive, he doesn't forgive. But God's going to make an exception for me. Hear me. The Bible says he's no respecter of persons. But don't you understand, pastor? After all, we are the victim we're the victim. Why should we have to do something that is uncomfortable for us? Why should our offender be allowed to get off scot-free? I'm going to tell you this. You, the offender is not going to get off scot-free, but you're not to be the judge. Proverbs 17 verse 14 says, beginning, watch this. This is good. Beginning a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. That's good. In Proverbs 19 11, it says, people with good sense... People with good sense restrain their anger. They earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. What is Solomon saying? Solomon is telling us that a wise person is one who doesn't make a federal case out of every injury they experience in life. It doesn't, that doesn't mean that something simple or easy might not hurt you. Something small may not hurt you. But the truth of the matter is you still have to get over it. The Bible says, and I'm going to start closing here, Peter came in Matthew 18, 21, Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And before you jump on Peter's case, I want to say something. He didn't know there was no limit to forgiveness. So ask yourself, how many times are you willing to forgive a person for committing the same serious offense? How many times? Suddenly, Peter, Peter seems very generous, doesn't he? Now that you're going through it seven times. But no, the Lord comes on. Let me just read this. Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. Not seven times, Jesus answers. Not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Why did he say that? Because it's a complete. It's complete. It's whole. There is no limit to forgiveness. God, through Jesus Christ, wants you to be like him and forgive because it does more good for you than it does for the offender. I'm closing. 
When you step into his likeness, when you step, step into his likeness, you will instinctively forgive, knowing that all in time, the judgment is in his hand. So I'm going to close with that. I just preached 10 sermons. I hope you listen to them. Go back and, and look at some of our, our, our sermons that's been archived. This is a powerful series. I enjoy ministering on Back to Basics. My son even ministered a couple of times on Back to Basics. Did a fabulous job. But my job right now is to tell you I love you, I appreciate you, and I want you to get back to basics. Matter of fact, I would say, why don't you get back in church? Amen. 1521 Hurt Road, Marietta, Georgia. Or whatever church you're going to now, whatever state you're in, you need to be in the house of the Lord. I want to pray for you. Father, right now in Jesus' name, I thank you so very much for the opportunity you've given me. I thank you, Lord, that these words have not, they did not fall on deaf ears. I know someone caught this. Lord, if just one person catches this, then everything I've done is worth it. My living is not in vain if someone heard this message today. So God, bless them, anoint them, and strengthen them. And Lord, raise them up with your right hand of righteousness, letting, allowing them to see your goodness and your mercy. Letting them see, Lord, that they can not only be in the likeness, but, in the image, but they can be in the likeness of you, Heavenly Father. So I love you, and I honor you, and I praise you. And I thank you for this great church, and I thank you for the great harvest that's coming in. Lord, teach us. In Jesus' name. And they all would say, Amen.